when I took care of like the inmates at Cook County, um, they gave me a lot of respect because I told them, I said, listen, motherfucker, I'm going to be the son of a bitch that is going to have a saw in his hand and a knife. And you want me thinking positive thoughts about <laughs> your sorry ass when I'm fixing you. It's car con carne. Yep, it's me, James Van Osdell, host of Carcon Carne, which is part of the Yak Channel Podcast Network, an awesome podcast collective of Chicago-centric podcasts. Check it out, listen, subscribe, tell a friend, yakchannel.com. So my guest this week is Dr. Dan Ivankovich. Dan is a world-class doctor. He is one of CNN's Heroes of the Year for 2015. Huge honor for him. He's also a world-class blues man. And as we find at the start of the show... He's also a very large man. Uh, so the, the real adventure here is getting a six foot ten man into the front seat of a Mazda 3. Yeah, I had to get mayonnaise on my body just to slide in his door. You're the first person we had to lube up. <laughs> Slick 50 and a, just a handful of uh, other synthetic lubricants. But I, I'm in. I'm a little moist, but uh, I'm in. Uh, Dan Ivankovich, uh, what a pleasure to have you here. Uh, the, the blues doctor. That's it, right here, Chi Town, baby, West uh, Roosevelt. We are we're in the thick of things. We are in the thick of things, uh, right outside White Palace Grill, a Chicago institution, a legend, really. It's been here since like 1939. Forever, I, I way before I was here. Superman was new when White Palace Grill opened up shop in Chicago. It was it was the hot thing, and I, I'm pretty sure that a cocaine was still in Coca Cola, which I'm glad that we don't have in ours right now. Although you went full sugar on your Coca-Cola tonight. I, I had to make a choice, uh, and I did go full sugar, and it, I had to lube up my cup because I, that was sitting on the sidewalk, and I had to pull that in after I entered the vehicle. Uh, so White Palace Grill, it, total diner. Uh, you got you got like breakfast food. You got appetizers. And I got uh, a Monte Cristo, which is a, a classic. Oh, yeah. A diner classic. I, I did, I'll get you some Rolaids after uh, we're done. You're going to need them. You know what blows my mind? You are a dyed-in-the-wool Chicago guy. I love Chicago. This area, this South Loop area, unrecognizable from, say, 15 years ago. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, if you think about it, um, you know, this is sort of the extension, the Roosevelt extension of what was sort of that Maxwell Street district. And 15 years ago, I used to go here and get the, uh, the used police leather jackets over at Kale Uniforms. It was a bunch of funky shops this is where the pimps the athletes the musicians hung and shopped and right now you wouldn't even recognize it it's like uh it's bed bath and beyond and whole foods that's what i'm talking about i mean whole foods i mean can you imagine whole foods here in like 1995 they would have freaked out i remember as a kid uh coming down to manny's which is right around the corner oh yeah and I'd one come of the greats my, one of the greats uh, and you know i'd come down with my family and there would be nothing to see like this was a don't park on the street kids this is but the food was great. Manny's was up until, up until when they uh, when they left the uh, the strip there. That was the place to go chow. People drove miles to eat there. Love it. That's the reason to fly uh, through Midway as opposed to O'Hare. Oh, they have a Manny's. They they got a Manny's. I mean, up at O'Hare, all you can get is a kind of a sonic uh, tater tot. But here at Manny's, you get the real deal. At O'Hare, you get La Tapa Nod, but you know, Midway, you get Harry Carries. True. You get Chicago stuff. 
going the real deal. And then George's music load up on your tune. Yes, it's so true. All right, so let's talk about you as the doctor part of Dr. Dan. Uh, tell me, I guess, in broad strokes, tell me about the CNN Heroes of the Year. I mean, that was uh, that was one of those shocks where, you know, you're just kind of hanging out. You're at the office finishing up your patients, and uh, they got a call for you, Doc. And uh, I'm like, who's this? I had no idea. Unfamiliar number. It was from New York, and uh, they just said, uh, you're going to be one of our uh, CNN heroes for uh, 2015. And that was, uh, you know, had to sit down, cool myself, open up a smelling salts. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it, you never realize or think that an entity like that is aware of you, but they had been watching our work and keeping a close eye on our um, initiatives in Chicago for several years and decided that uh, that was the year they were going to make it real for me. And I, I should backtrack. The work you do, you should explain. Well, you know, I mean, it. everyone tries to ask me, what is it that you do? And, you know, I'm a, I'm a healer. Um, the way that I heal people is uh, through empowerment, education, and when the need is necessary, I am a orthopedic spine and reconstructive surgeon. I do trauma, joint replacements, and I do a lot of, uh, a lot of spine surgery. And, you know, I, I made my mission when I uh, entered the uh, medical space was that I was going to make a difference for people that needed my care the most. And I've, I've tried to live by that every day. And, you know, now 20 years later into my career, it just seems like um, it's growing, it's bigger and badder every day. And it was really just starting out with a concept that uh, predated health reform. I mean, health reform to me meant that if you need care, you should not be denied and we'll do our best to help you. And it's kind of taken off from there. So you take care of people who need it regardless of ability to pay. You know, I mean, that's really been the mantra. I mean, the one thing that, that I have had to, you know, revisit that makes it challenging is, you know, we relied so extensively on partnership with governmental entities, but, you know, Illinois is in some pretty crazy arrears between, you know, Illinois being $122 billion in the hole, Chicago $24 billion in Cook County. So, you know, I can't, it, I'm still 6'10", you know, 300 pounds, but even as big as I am, I cannot carry the weight <laughs> of Chicago on my back, though I do carry a lot. Um, you know, we don't turn people away, but... We do it to the best of our ability because, you know, treating people medically is um, it's still resource driven. And, you know, we, we've been trying to do what many of the hospitals can't, what many of the health systems don't. But, you know, it's still about taking care of people and doing it one patient at a time so that the person that you are with, they are your whole world. You are their whole world. And together we transform lives. And you didn't set up shop in Wilmette or Winnetka. That would have been too easy, and I probably would have slipped my wrist. I mean, nothing nothing against Wilmette, but, um, you know, you got to wear a tie. You got to wear um, wingtip, you know, funky, uh, yuppie shoes. What is it, loafers? I mean, I get to wear, the, the my, uh, my patients call these my thug scrubs. <laughs> you know, I, I never thought of it that way, but I can... You do have a kind of a, a biker vibe going on. You know, and they they catch on to that, and, and, and it is, it is, but it's, it's just because we go with the black. I've got the... Uh, you know, just the, uh, we we represent what we do. We got the Bone Squad on the right. I got the One Patient Global Health Initiative on the left. I got my Chicago flag. I got my U.S. flag. I got my Croatia flag near my heart. 
and uh, you know it's uh, it's a billboard of our empowerment. But yeah, being in black and being big, you know, what do they usually say? Either I'm a are you a wrestler? I mean, that's always the first thing they think that I'm um, the Big Show. <laughs> And uh, and I always tell him that that's my cousin because you know Big Show's about seven feet. He's got got about an inch and a half and about 150 pounds mm-hmm. on me. But uh, I guess with the shaved head and the goatee, every little kid, I mean, like they'll be pointing at me, go, "Mom, look, the big they go to Big Show." And um, so you know that <laughs> then they think you know either we're there to like beat them up or we're there to uh, rob them or we're there to beat them up or they think I'm a cop. So, um, you know, but it's fun. I mean, they, they know the minute they hear me talk that, it, that it's all good. I'm, I'm there for them. But my point being, you're not in the North Shore. I mean, you, you dropped yourself in the middle of the, some tough areas. Well, I mean, if you, if you look at the demographics, you know, Chicago is home to five of the most challenged communities in America. And that's not even including Robbins, Illinois, which I do get a lot of patience from their Robbins is the second most challenged community in the United States. But you look at places like, um, you know, Roseland, Englewood, North Lawndale, Humboldt Park, uh, Austin. These places have been war zones uh, since we've been kids here, you know. I mean, this has not gotten better, and I just, that's, that's where they needed me. I mean, at one point in these communities, I was the lone orthopedic surgeon providing care and the area that I covered was over 500,000 people in Chicago. So, you know, it was uh, my, my uh, PAs always used to draw the picture of me like Atlas with the globe <laughs> on my back. And uh, it was fun, though, 24-7 on call, uh, hundreds of surgeries a year. And uh, it was a great time. I mean, it was, it was a ton of work, but it was very rewarding personally. And we had a blast. We got to eat food and play music at some of the most over-the-top places and I gotta tell you these neighborhoods for a guy like me who loves you know dives and loves soul food I have eaten at the greatest of the great when it comes to soul food I'm gonna draw a parallel here between the purge election day I enjoyed the purge trilogy during the purge the people who drive around in medical vehicles are kind of given a pass like no one uh, tries to hurt the people driving medical vehicles is that kind of your situation being in the middle of these war zones where well it's dr. Dan he's here to he's here to help let's leave him alone well you know I I think when I had the bone mobile that's kind of why I created it Um, the bone mobile was a 2007 uh, Dodge Magnum SRT that had um, the Lamborghini doors I had sirens, I had cop lights that were basically ambulance lights. Um, I had 24-inch rims. The thing was 600 horsepower with a blower. So we had both respect because I had the insignias with the emergency vehicle, Mm -hmm. but I also had the mega street cred of it being a Magnum. Like whenever I would go, dudes would be taking pictures of the car. They'd want me to open the door and come out. It was a big production. When I would roll into a hospital, there'd usually be 10 or 15 people waiting just to see the car. And so they knew it was me, they knew what I did. And then the weird thing is, so like, you know, I go to churches all over Chicago, um, not churches chicken, but actually churches. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, know, you for clarifying. The, yeah, yeah, to do, uh, to do um, you know, outreach and to do events. And it was amazing to me as we got deeper and deeper into doing this, you know, at five years, 10 years, 15, I can walk into any church in Chicago People will walk up. They go, hey, you took care of my mom or you took care of my brother. You took care of my son. So I feel like I'm probably within one or two degrees of separation of everybody in Chicago. 
I love it. All right, should we start eating as we as we talk? You know I, what? I the stuff food. I ordered, man, is looking tight. I want to get some of those fried mushrooms. Ooh, I want to get into this Monte Cristo, which I tucked in the back seats. Nope, that's not it. Grab your food if you can. I, I don't know if I can. This Coke is like wedged between no. my knees. I might have to open this, the window and have that guy hold my stuff while I'm moving it around. This, this is today is a challenging day for Carcon Carne. Dan is not not a petite man. No, and I do like to eat, so I got a double portion. So this is going to be a little tricky as we talk, and as you kind of get yourself situated, you know what? The big question I have when I talk to someone like you. What drives that self selflessness? Is it something that was passed on to you from parents? Like, where did you just... You know what? I, I, I will say this. Um, I would love to take credit for all that I do that is some kind of, you know, self-devotion, selflessness that I'm giving to my man. I mean, I thoroughly enjoy what I do. I love helping people. I get to go to some of the most awesome places see the most uh, genuine people who are, uh, you know, there's no, there's no airs, there's no attitude. People smile when they're happy. They frown when they're in pain. And I love what I do. And, you know, historically, I have read many, many studies where um, <laughs> they say that if the person who does the good deed more often than not, gets more out of that transaction than the person receiving it. Sure. So I I feel blessed that I can do this. I feel honored to serve, but I am having a great time. There's no, the rules are my rules. I make the rules and that's the only way I would have it. Based on your uh, physical description, you compared yourself to the big show. I do believe that if you ever like flip to the dark side, we should all be very afraid. Well, you know, the difference between me and the big show you know, he does it with overpowering. I have, I have paralytic agents at my disposal. <laughs> I have anesthetic. I mean, you're like Batman. Yeah, I could drop you like in a blink of an eye. And the thing is, you would be there. You would be totally conscious, but you couldn't breathe and you couldn't move. And I would be there over you. So if I went to the dark side, I don't think people would be. Um, they wouldn't have a chance. And that could be very evil, very quick. That sounds kind of interesting, right? I'm a little uncomfortable, to be honest. <laughs> So when did you decide you wanted to go into medicine? Um, you know, as a former athlete, I was a high school All-State and All-American basketball player uh, back in the 80s. Uh, I thought it would be cool to be a sports medicine doctor. Um, and then I realized what a bunch of, can I say the word pussy? Sure. What it's a bunch of pussies athletes are. They're wimps. The old school athletes... Like, I'm talking about basketball in the days of, like, Bill Russell. Those dudes played with, like, blood with bones sticking out of their skin. They were tough. The new generation of athletes are a bunch of wimps. And I, as I hung out and started shadowing sports medicine doctors, I thought, you couldn't pay me enough to do this. But then um, I got a chance to go um, in the trauma unit over at Cook County. It was insane, man. I mean, dudes had their lungs sticking out they had their chests wide open people were doing open heart massage they were you know shot they were being resuscitated in many ways i thought man these doctors are like god they're they're bringing people that were dead back to life i mean i just felt that the power of those healers that i saw in that container was so moving to me i said i want to be that guy it, is, it does take a certain mindset 
most people when confronted with human organs just splayed out in front of people, they'd walk in the other direction, but you you walk towards that. I just said this is so fascinating and it just, you know, reminds you how how brief life can be. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was very humbling. And, and look, to do the job, you know, um, you know, I may be 6'10", 300 pounds, but the reality is there's a tremendous amount of humility that goes into doing this job, understanding that no matter how good of a job you do, patient may die. No matter how good of a job you do, the outcome may not be perfect. And you have to be humble. We don't pat ourselves on the back when it goes well. We don't cry when it goes badly. We, we, be, we are humble and we behave in a way that is respectful, that is dignified. And that, that I guess, is maturity because, you know, I, I'll tell you honestly, I mean, over the course of the years with these trauma patients, we've lost patients. Sure. It, I, it, it was devastating to me. I cried and I just had to gather myself and just not let it affect me in a way that was so deep and internal. And I just understood that I am but one man and, uh, you know, we do what we do. But, you know, I'm not trying to come off like Mary Poppins here or, um, you know, like St. Dan. It's just you have to have a humility when you do this work because it's real, it's in the moment, and it's extremely, extremely emotional either way, and you have to learn how to contain it because it can it can destroy you if you don't contain sure. it. Sure, I mean, for most people, bad day at the office is, the boss is a dick, things didn't go my way. Mm-hmm. For you, it's, yeah, we lost them. Right, and, and it is, uh, you know, and we make relationships. Having done this for this long, I just had a young man who was uh, in Peoria who had his leg shot up, exploded his knee, and two doctors down in Peoria said that... Um, they would need to amputate his leg. And his mom was here. She had read about me. And we had him brought up here to salvage his leg. And we did save his leg. Wow. But the thing is, is, you know, you make a connection with the family. You make a connection with the, the you know, the neighbors, the relatives. And it's very, very hard because they, part of the healing power, and it's crazy, is they, they believe in you. Yeah. And so. You're, you, you're all they have. I mean. Yeah. And you don't want to let them down. Mm-hmm. I want to hear more stories like that. I want to hear more about the positive, like the, the things you walk away with and you think, wow, that that's one of those moments I will never forget. When I write the book about my time doing orthopedic surgery. Oh, that, I've got, I've got, but you know, not all of them are like, you know, we, we have those like really poignant and healing moments. We also um, have crazy moments like, you know. I mean, you know, in a lot of ways, it's like, um, you know, like working at Cook County. It's like it's like a nightclub act. I mean, you know, I used to have to go in there when I took care of like the inmates at Cook County. Um, they gave me a lot of respect because I told them, I said, "Listen, motherfucker, I'm going to be the son of a bitch that is going to have a saw in his hand and a knife, and you want me thinking positive thoughts." about your sorry ass when I'm fixing you. They didn't say nothing to me after that. And uh, I remember when they were on pain meds and they were harassing one of the nurses, I had to get a crowbar. And I went out there and um, I got on the PA and I said, listen, you jagoffs, be respectful to these women. They're trying to help you. And if you act like a bunch of jagoffs, you are going to get this and I'd hold up their morphine and their pain meds. I'm going to pour this shit down the toilet 
and say, fuck all of you and let you suffer in pain. So, you know, that was once again, as a doctor, you never want to go there. But sometimes in order to become part of the solution, you got to become part of the problem. And they had the utmost in respect for me because they knew if they respected me, I was going to take care of them. Mm -hmm. If they didn't respect me, I was going to take care of them. But they wanted to be on my side because they knew and I would talk to them extensively about things like karma and they got it. What's the worst you've seen? For me personally, the stuff that makes me insane is when there's child abuse involved. A couple of times I've had to ask my colleagues to take me the fuck out of the room because I wanted to strangle the parents. When I saw, you know, when you see a kid coming in with a snapped femur and you know exactly what the hell they did. And I'm like, you motherfucker, I'm going to show you what that feels like. And I'm like, dude, just get me out of here because I'm about ready to do some shit that's going to get me in trouble. And uh, abuse of children is something that um, just uh, is very visceral for me. And uh, I do take care of a lot of kids, but I do not. um, I've stayed away from a lot of the, the trauma stuff just because much of the stuff that comes through those bays is children being abused by parents. and um, Yeah, I can't even imagine. You can't even. It's just, you know, the stuff that you see, and then they look at you like, I'm like, asshole, I know what you did. And you don't want to be the judge and jury, but I'm like, there's no way that the kid fell and did this. You know, spiral fractures of a long bone with a, with a bruising around it that looks like someone's hand is abuse. I don't need, you know, anything more, but... You can't jump to conclusions. You got to be professional, and that's just the part that, for me, I'm like, this kid had no defense against you. You're big, and now you need to get your ass kicked. And that's where I got to leave the room because it's just me projecting, and it's it's wrong. But at the same time, it's wrong to abuse your child. For real. All right. So looking ahead, with all that you've accomplished, I mean, you you've certainly made quite a name for yourself. CNN took notice. They recognized you. What, what's, your, what's your goal? I mean, beyond the personal, I want to publish a book or... Yeah, you know, I mean, the book is fun. I mean, I love teaching. Um, you know, I realize that I can't do this forever. And I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, when all this is said and done, that there'll be many other young doctors that feel that they are empowering themselves with knowledge and passion to try and change the world for the better. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, what I'm trying to do is just to find vehicles where we can share these stories and that are positive. And I'm hoping, I mean, medicine these days has really taken a turn for the bad. When I was a kid, you know, it's just funny because, you know, when we talked about I, I was very, I had mixed emotions about the CNN heroes because I just said, I go, isn't this what every doctor is supposed to do? You know what I mean? It's like when I was a kid, doctors were all heroes. They did amazing stuff. And I said... Isn't this something that we should all aspire to be? And I would just try to bring back the hands of time a little bit to a place in America where the doctors were heroes and the doctors were the leaders in their community. They weren't, you know, dispensing narcotics to patients, you know, and getting them hooked. They weren't doing unnecessary surgeries. They took care of the poor. They were leaders in their community. And I'm hoping that these young aspiring doctors or doctors in training that work with me or see me will will hopefully say that, yeah, I dig him and I dig what he does 
and I'm going to try and take a little piece of what he's doing and make that mine. And, you know, book is great. Radio shows are great. Amazing shows like this to get the word out are fantastic. And, you know, maybe if the uh, stars are all in alignment, maybe a, uh, a television show. That's, that's certainly something that is uh, in the works. You're and, very photogenic. Well, you know, why wouldn't I be? Because, you know, that uh, it's the goatee. It's clearly the goatee. People dig the goatee. Dude, it's 9 o'clock at night. We're recording this on Roosevelt. You got the beret. Oh, yeah. You got the shades. Oh, yeah. I got the shades all the time. I got the beret. And, you know, the beauty of it is that I created the outfit. So when I'm running late like this after clinic, if the band has a show at the club, I can get right up on stage with these threads and, and feel like no problem. I don't miss a beat. I, mean, I do want to talk about music, too. But it should also be noted, black is very slimming. You know what it is. It, it is. it is awesome. You know, you can <laughs> you can have a couple of bad days of fast food and still people go, did you lose weight? I go, I love you. you. You may notice I'm wearing a Fitbit on my wrist. Oh, yeah. I thought that just by wearing the Fitbit, I would lose weight. Yeah, you didn't read the instructions, did you? Uh, apparently, you need to exercise, yeah, you too. Yeah, you got to walk and you got to get out. Yeah, I got, I, got, I got chumped by that, too. I thought if I put it around my arm that, no, didn't work. The pounds would just come off. No, no luck. And I get little celebrations when I hit the 10,000-step uh, goal. It throws me a little party. It has a little fireworks show on my wrist. And a little, like, Hershey's chocolate bar pops out. <laughs> That's right. But, no, it's not working. I just had that big sandwich and french fries, and I, I feel like the Fitbit's not doing a thing to help me. Does it say what your cholesterol is? <laughs> no. Although, okay, here's the thing. I went to my doctor for a checkup earlier this year, and uh, I made the mistake of having... An ice quad venti skinny vanilla latte before the appointment. Um, my heart rate was abnormally high. My blood pressure was abnormally high to the point where he wanted me to get an EKG. Oh boy, to to check my heart rate. As it turned out, I, I'm, I was fine. I was a jackass for having coffee beforehand. Here's the thing about the EKG, as you know, Doctor Dan, um, they stick those pieces of tape on on your chest. Uh, so they can monitor your heart rate. They didn't shave your chest. They, they shaved my chest. Oh, good. They completely forty-year-old virgined me. I hate when that happens. <laughs> the, the doctor had me take off my shirt. And he said, "Oh, oh, um, I'm sorry. I'm going to need to shave you." And he shaved what was essentially a, a smiley face. What I learned is chest hair takes a much longer time to grow back than say the hair on the top of your head. Oh yeah, what you got to do? I got a physical. In preparation for my colonoscopy. Oof. And they did that with the leads. I'm like, you know, you got to. So what you got to do is after they shave it, you got to go home and manscape your chest hair. To kind of go down to that level so it all grows back. You got to do it. And then about two or three weeks, it'll be kind of close. But if you leave it the way it is, it's like an eight-month project. <laughs> it was. Well, you, you mentioned your band a couple times. Let's talk, if you don't mind, let's segue to the blues. You are hardcore blues fan, blues performer, I love it. They, talking about how much you love and you know our Chicago. I mean, what, what's more Chicago than the blues? Well, you know, the, the funny thing was that when I was young and playing basketball, usually as the lone white boy on the team, you know, we, we practiced down on 83rd over in Avalon Park. And I would travel through parts of the city that, you know, I never knew existed. We would go to, you know, eat lunch or we would go to Maxwell Street or go to one of the pubs. When we were 15, man, you could walk into any bar on the south side. They'd yeah. let you in. They'd serve you. I remember hearing music, and I'm like, wow, that sounds like Led Zeppelin. 
or hey, <laughs> that sounds like Rolling Stones. Like, oh, what is that? Who is that? Like, oh, that's Hound Dog Taylor, or oh, that's this. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's not Led Zeppelin. And so, as a 15 year old, I was um, exposed to this music. And you know, being Mr. History and Mr. Chicago, I did a bunch of research and realized that this was where the blues became electrified. And Muddy Waters changed the world, literally the course of time when he plugged a guitar into an amplifier. And you know, Chicago is a fascinating city because it's so muscular, it's so, you know, this was this big industrial center and this is where African-Americans migrated from the South because jobs were plentiful, it paid well. And, you know, relatively, you know, Chicago was a good place to be relative to the South. And they brought this amazing music here and it totally changed its dynamic and complexion. It was still the blues, but the electric sound was so amazing and it was so powerful that literally these young punks down in uh, London, you know, Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, Jimmy Page, these were all guys that had their ears wide open. They were devotees of Chicago and the blues. Well, when the Stones first came to America, they wanted to record at chess. I mean, to them, that was the definitive moment, you know, when they got to meet their idols. They got to meet Muddy. They got to meet Chuck Berry. I mean, this, once again, we take for granted what we have here, but the rest of the world is literally in awe. I mean, people plan their vacations and trips to come to Chicago to hear blues music. Although I I feel like Chicago has been very dismissive as a city of blues heritage. Hey, yeah. Just bringing up chess as an example, you'd never know that it was an iconic space if you're just driving past it. Oh, no. Well, the, well, the thing that was crazy, right? Um, when I was an undergrad at Northwestern, the, the weird like connection of the universe was the director of the animal laboratories was L.C. Thurman. And he goes, oh, you know, he heard us playing blues in the lab. He goes, oh, you like blues? Come down to my club. He was partners with Buddy Guy. He was co-owner of the Checkerboard Lounge. <laughs> That's and, amazing. And But it was this little hole in the wall, right? It held like 30 people. But even back then, I mean, European tourists, they were coming here to pay homage to, you know, Johnny Dollar, to Buddy Guy, to Junior Wells, to Lefty Diz, to, you know, Killer Ray Allison. And, you know, in Chicago people didn't know about it buddy was an amazing you know highly regarded blues man but until chicago realized that the whole world thought this guy was a genius chicago was super late to the party and, and yep. they had been very dismissive you're right i mean I, I feel like when you land at o'hare or midway you should hear the blues the first thing when you step off the plane should be blue walls blue sounds blue vibe because you're in chicago yes exactly like when you go to memphis you, you get a sense of music when you go to nashville, yeah, nashville for sure yeah. austin texas absolutely chicago not so much well you know what here's the thing right now what i am aware of is what is it 50 million tourists that came to chicago last year many many tourists come here for the music and the city of chicago is realizing that much of the money they get is because of the blues and the blues tourism so they are getting behind it but once again about 20 30 40 years later than they should have for sure so all right you uh tell me about your band tell me about the chicago blues all-stars you know i'm just the uh i'm the biggest fan 
these are all my friends that I've known since I was a teenager. I um, I really, I when I was playing basketball, I was a huge blues fan, but I was not playing guitar yet. So I um, I went to um. Remember Chicago Fest when they had it on Navy Pier? Yeah, yeah. Well, in the early 80s, Muddy Waters was a headliner there. And someone tipped me off and said, you know, Muddy and Johnny Winter are going to be playing together. So I was right there in the front row. Like, I love Johnny Winter. I love yeah. Muddy Waters. And um, believe it or not, I snuck backstage. I kind of talked my way backstage because I wanted to meet Johnny Winter and Muddy Waters. Well, those three albums oh that they did... Those are quintessential. Well, when he kind of, his career resurrected, when he did King B and Heart Again, mm-hmm. I mean, those read And I'm ready, right? Yep. And he was uh, just a, uh, I mean, he, he was the Mac Daddy of the blues. And yeah. I didn't get a chance to meet them because um, the, you know, they were tied up with interviews and it was a really big deal event. But I, I met this guy who was playing with them who was the most incredible drummer I had ever seen in my life. The dude was literally destroying his drum kit up on stage. He had a huge, huge afro, and I go, who is that guy? They go, oh, man, that's Killer. I'm like, Killer? Can you, a drummer named Killer. And uh, so we got to meet, he was like the nicest guy, Killer Ray Allison, who I just said, you know, I want to learn how to play the blues. And, you know, we exchanged phone numbers, and um, we stayed in touch. He, he would invite me to gigs. And, um, you know, the one stupid thing, he, uh, you know, we were tight, and he called me one day, all spazzed out and crazy, couldn't even talk. I said, Ray, what's wrong? He's like, man, you got to be here at the checkerboard. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? He's like, you got to come to the checkerboard tonight. I'm like, Dude, it's my birthday party tonight. I can't go there. My surprise party's tonight. If I miss my surprise party, my girlfriend will never forgive me. <laughs> so he goes, you don't understand, man. The Rolling Stones are going to be here tonight. That was tonight. the show. And I said, I said, Ray, have you been drinking? I said, what the hell are you talking about? The Rolling Stones at the checkerboard? The checkerboard holds 15 people. Now, what you're talking about is one of the most iconic Chicago concerts of all time. Of all time. And I said, dude, bullshit. The Rolling Stones are not playing. He said, man, the Rolling Stones are going to be playing with Muddy. And I go, Muddy, why'd Muddy play at the checkerboard? So I said, look, if I miss my birthday party, I'm going to have hell to pay. I said, you know, give me a call tomorrow. We'll talk. And then what do I do? I pick up the Tribune. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God, I am such an idiot. I did not believe this guy. Why and, would you? And, you know, but what, 30 years later, they finally released it on a DVD. But for many years, it, the, that whole video was kind of like an underground thing. I had a mm-hmm. copy of it. But it is one of the greatest concerts ever recorded in Chicago. It's mesmerizing to watch. And they are amazing. I mean, the Watching sh- the Stones walk up to the stage. Like little kids. Uh-huh. They were like, they were in awe. Like, I mean, here are the Rolling Stones. I think that was a Tattoo You album. Mm-hmm. And here, I mean, I've seen, you know, Clapton, I've seen Stevie Ray, I've seen Johnny Winter at the checkerboard, but the the redeeming emotion of all of them is like a kid at Christmas or a kid in a candy store. They, they're they like pinching themselves, like, we are going to go up and play with Muddy Waters. See, and I've said this before, that particular performance, any other room, any other place, 
Mick Jagger's the coolest guy in the room. Clearly. And up there, you know, he was deferential to his idol, Muddy. He was supportive. He was diminutive. I mean, Muddy's persona was big as a house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you know, these were the Rolling Stones, but they were so respectful to their mentor. Yeah, I, I can't stress it enough. This is essential viewing. If you were a fan of music, a fan of Chicago, I mean, it, it is everything. I I still watch it today and go, damn. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. All right, so how often are you playing? I know you're playing, like, we're recording this uh, end of July. I know you're planning on playing all weekend. Are you? When you so when you're not operating and treating patients, you're gigging. Well, here's the thing. I see a lot of stuff, and I've seen a lot. By, by all definition, with all the traumas and craziness I've seen, I probably should have PTSD, right? The way I take care of my mind and my body and my spirit is playing music. Blues is for me. And it's my, it's my full-time hobby. I got a great band. The Chicago Blues All-Stars are friends and people that I've been connected to for decades. And one day we just said, hey, let's create a project that pays tribute to all of our idols, all of our mentors in the blues, so that we can keep the blues going, keep educating young people about the music, keep showing our passion and our love for these artists that were so iconic. And it's been it's been really amazing. I mean, it was very organic, but you know, the CD got airplay on over I think 230 stations worldwide. That's great. And um, I think, you know, our, our my mission with the release, we did it independently because, you know, a big mission of mine for health care is helping blues musicians who do not have insurance, who do not have good health care. All of the proceeds of the uh, sales of the CD and donations that we accepted during shows, we, we gave over $25,000 to different musicians that were dealing with cancer, that were dealing with kidney failure, that were dealing with illness. So... We got a chance to celebrate the music, to celebrate the artists, and also to help the community that we are a part of. So it was a very organic and very spiritual band that we're together with, and, and we're best friends. So Killer, Ray and Al- Killer Ray Allison and I have been buds since I was a teenager, and he's the co-founder and, and leader of the band. I love it. And I didn't realize the, the charity side of that. That's really great. Well, you know, I, one of the things that I said, I, I don't... I don't take money from the band. I mean, we play, it's a 10-piece band. Some nights it's a five-piece band. I'm like, look, I'm a doctor. Everybody that's in the band does this full-time. So when we play, I'm there to support them because I can't make every show. Mm-hmm. I'm on call you know, yeah. every day. So they play six times, seven times a month. I try to make it there as many as I can. But I just said, I'm, I'm here to, I am here to heal myself. I am here to contribute to the music and to enjoy it. But you guys take the money. I mean, this is, you know, this is why we do it. And uh, I, I just love the music. And I, I, I like the, the concept that being the blues doctor, you know, I love the blues doctor. There you go, baby. The blues. <laughs> there go. And then they know, they know me there. Dr. Blues. Blues doctor. And so I, um, I'm very appreciative just to have this music in my life. And it, and it really completes my being. Uh, so if people want to learn more about you the band, your your work, where can they go? Well, you know, the um, I guess an easy way, I guess just Google me. If you punch in Daniel Ivankovich, I-V-A-N-K-O-V-I-C-H, a bunch of stuff will come up with regard to our pro bono work. 
our health care and healing, the music, um, you know. And, Dan- some, and some tasteful nudes. When I Google you, that's what I find. You know what? I think that that's, that's a great place to start. Dan Ivankovich, uh, I'm a fan. I, I'm a, I, I appreciate what you do uh, as a doctor. I love what you do as a musician, and thanks for hanging out. Am I going to be able to get out of this car? I think I'm like, I think I bought this thing. No, no, you're coming home with me. <laughs> Sorry, we can't I'm remove you. We're, are we going to have to cut out the sunroof, man? That's I mean, right. I'm... Jaws I mean, of life coming this way. I got this seat reclined. <laughs> I got this microphone kind of perched. I'm thinking like, how the hell am I going to get... I mean, I had to really... I hope you don't my, get a call. I hope, I hope there's no emergency tonight. You know, if we you're driving, yeah, that's you're right. going with me, and then we're gonna. I, I think I got to go out the sunroof here. But no, thank you very much. This is um a very Chicago thing, and I've been listening to you since back in the Q101 days. <laughs> so you know, you're you're a iconic Chicago figure, and now doing this with uh, Car Con Carney. This is awesome. Thank you for having me. All right, Dan said I could do this. I'm wrapping up the show with a song from Chicago Blues All-Stars, his band that he talked about. This is a long one. It is an awesome one. It's Mad Hatter's Blues. I get to play music on the podcast this week. Awesome. Dan Ivankovich, Chicago Blues All-Stars. This is Carcon Carne. Yourself and just, just listen to the conversation, you know. 